I want to ask as we begin, and you were paying attention to the reading there, did you hear the gravity and the weight of John's question that he was asking? I mean, it's easy to read over, it's easy to read it lightly, but did you hear the weight in that question, the gravity to it? He says, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Now, I want you to keep in mind that, that you can hear, as you, as you read this question, you hear the doubt, you hear the disappointment, you hear the frustration. Are you the one? And also keep in mind that this is not some nominal believer. This is John the Baptist we are talking about. This is the forerunner of the Messiah. This is the one who has been proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. This is the one who is the very first person to identify Jesus as the Messiah. This is the one who saw Jesus coming to be baptized at the Jordan. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. This is John the Baptist. He is the one who said that Jesus must increase, but John must decrease. John, it's the same one who said in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now listen to what John had just said there. He was certain that Jesus was the Messiah. He was certain and he kept telling everybody, the one who is coming after me. He's the one. He's the guy. And now in a prison, John sends his messengers to Jesus to say, are you the one? Or should we be looking for another? Now, I want you to understand how easy it is to relate to John here in this passage. Because if you have been alive for any length of time, and the fact that you're here means that you have, you know what it's like to be disappointed. And many of you know what it's like to be disappointed by God. Many of us have these expectations for what we think our lives are going to look like, right? We all kind of make a plan for our life, what we want to do, how our life is going to run, where we're going to end up in a certain amount of years, and we make all these plans for our lives. And then when our expectations do not become a reality, what happens? We're disappointed. We're frustrated. We we get to a point where we had all these expectations for our lives and they, they don't become a reality, and so we end up calling out to God. We say, is this it? Is this what you wanted my life to be like? I mean, is this really the plans that you had for me, God? Is this who you really are? Is this what you're really like? Are you really the one? Or do I need to look for another? It's easy to relate to what John's going through here. And the reason we experience this disappointment and this frustration It happens when our expectations do not align with reality. 
When things don't go our way, when things don't play out the way that we expected them to. You see, we would never admit it, but deep down, we actually expect God to align His will with our desire. As if God is beholden to us, His creation. And we end up dissatisfied with Him. But understand this, folks. Being dissatisfied with the will of God is nothing short of being dissatisfied with God Himself. And so here's what Jesus does for us. Same thing He did for John in these moments of disappointment and frustration and doubt. Jesus invites us to find our satisfaction in who He is. Not who we want Him to be. And I want you to understand there's a huge difference there, right? There's a huge difference. Jesus invites us to find our full and complete satisfaction in who He actually is, not who we want Him to be. And so here's my question. How does He do that? How does He actually help us find our satisfaction in Him? And I want you to notice this complaint here by John as he sends his messengers to Jesus. Notice again the first three verses. He says, When Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison, so so that's where he is at this time. He's been arrested. He is in prison. He is never going to make it out of that prison. He will end up being beheaded in that prison. That's where he's at. As this is going on, he hears about the deeds of Christ. So again, pause for a second. Notice, John is not unaware of what Jesus is doing. He has heard about all that Jesus is teaching and preaching and doing. He hears about the deeds of Christ. It should encourage him. It should uplift him. But what does it do instead? He hears about these deeds and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In prison, you have to understand, that's the last place John thought that he would end up. I mean, John... Again, he's the forerunner of the Messiah. He's the one who was prophesied long ago who would come and prepare the way for the Lord to make the path straight. This is John. He thought that when the Messiah came, oh, everything was going to be different. (laughs) He expected that when the Messiah came, life would never be the same. He would usher in this kingdom and life would just be easy and great for all of God's people. That's what he expected. And now he's in prison. He had all these expectations for what Jesus would do, and he was giddy about it. I mean, do you remember? John was a hard preacher. Y'all remember that, right? They don't preach like John anymore. Remember what he said in Matthew 3, 7? He literally sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism. If we had a group of people coming to be baptized, we'd praise God, right? Shout for joy, we'd fill the tanks. John says, you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, could you imagine we had some guests walk in here and I'm like, you sinners, what are you doing at church? But that's John, right? He sees these sinful religious leaders coming and he calls them out on their sins and he starts warning them about what's going to happen. He's like, oh boy, wait till the Messiah gets here. Matthew 3.10, he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Matthew 3, 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. I mean, listen, do you see how excited John is for this? He can't hide it. He's giddy. He's literally telling all these people who are hearing him preach. He's like, oh boy, you guys, you don't even know what's coming next. I wish you did, but you don't. You don't know what's coming. But when the Messiah gets here, you better buckle your seatbelts because it's going to get rough. He expected that when the Messiah came, Jesus, this Messiah, he expected he was going to overthrow the religious leaders of Israel. He was going to remove them completely. He starts swinging that axe. He'd take that winnowing fork. He'd start clearing the threshing floor. There was also the expectation, folks, that when the Messiah came, he would overthrow Rome, right? He was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He was going to free the land of Israel again. And there was the expectation that when the Messiah came, all of God's people would experience peace and prosperity. That's what they expected. And then Jesus comes on scene and he doesn't do any of that. He does not overthrow the religious leaders of Israel. He does not overthrow Rome. And his most faithful followers, like John the Baptist, are in prison. And so now John is in this place where, understand this, Jesus has failed to live up to John's expectations of him. And because Jesus has failed to live up to John's expectations, he is broken and heartbroken and disappointed and frustrated and he's doubting and he says, are you even really the one? Or should I look for another? And again, just just think for a minute about how common this response is in our world today. I mean, think about when a person thinks that they have found Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And they say, I've been praying for a spouse and God has answered our prayers. Hallelujah, we're going to get married. And now they expect a lifelong happy marriage. They expect a white picket fence, a house full of kids, and smooth sailing for marriage. Married people in the room, you get it, right? Like, that's what they expect, right? But then what happens? Well, their marriage isn't what they expected it to be. Their marriage is a lot harder than they ever expected it would be. There's hurt and betrayal. And then everything falls apart. And then in their midst of their frustration and their disappointment, they call out to God and they say, why would you do this to us? You brought us together, God. You, you led us to each other. You, you saw how everything was going. You saw everything falling apart. Why didn't you step in? Why didn't you do something? How could you not do anything? Don't you even care? Are you the one? Everything falls apart. They start doubting the goodness of God. You see it too when someone has to experience the unexpected death of a spouse or a child. They never thought that would happen. They thought they would outlive their spouse and all their children. And then they lose a spouse or a child and they start calling out to God and they say, surely you could have done something. Were you watching? 
Did you, did you stand there for no reason? Don't you care about what I'm going through down here? How could you possibly let this happen? You're God. Are you the one? Or do I need to look for another? I mean, you see it everywhere in life. And the reason you see it everywhere is because everybody has expectations for how they think their life should go, right? Our best laid plans. Everybody has expectations for what they think their life's going to look like what they're going to see, what they're going to do, but then they get to a point in their life that they never thought they were going to be. They don't know how they wound up there. And they start to wonder, God, is this really what you wanted for me? I mean, did you want me to be struggling emotionally and spiritually? Did you want me to be struggling financially? Did you want me to be depressed and broken and so anxious that I can barely make it through most days? Is this what you wanted for me? Is this what it means to follow you? Is this how you treat your people? Are you the one? Or should I look for another? This is a real issue for Christians today. And so it's important for us to see how Jesus responds to his people when we are in this place of brokenness, I want you to notice what he says to John and the disciples as he hears them. It says in verse 4, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Now, I do want us to to notice a couple of things about this response, but the very first thing that I want us to notice is just how Jesus treats his people when they're in this dark place. When you're in this place of disappointment and frustration and brokenness and you are beginning to doubt the goodness of God and the character of God, what does Jesus do for us? How does he address us? I want you to see what he does here. Jesus tenderly attends to his dissatisfied disciples. Jesus tenderly attends to his dissatisfied disciples because that's who our God is. He is full of compassion and grace and mercy and he handles us with great care. I mean, you see that very clearly in his response to John because notice what he could have said to John. He's talking to the forerunner. Jesus could have sent the messengers back and said, John, how dare you? You of all people, John, how could you doubt me? You were literally the forerunner. You you were the Elijah to come that was prophesied, the one who was going to prepare the way for the Lord. How could you do this, John? Where's your faith? But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? No, instead, Jesus attends to John with great care and tenderness because, watch this folks, Jesus can relate to what John is going through here. See, lest we forget, this is a great time of year to remind ourselves that one of the most amazing aspects of Jesus, one of the most amazing things about our God is that Jesus is literally God in the flesh. He left the glories of heaven 
to immerse himself into this sinful, fallen, broken world and take on human flesh, become like us in every way, yet without sin, and experience the same things that we experience. You don't know why that's good news for you? Because that means Jesus knows what you're going through. He gets it. And not from an intellectual, metaphysical standpoint. He gets it because he has experienced it personally. He made himself like us in every way so that he can relate to us. So he does not get angry with John. He does not dismiss John. He says, John, I get it. I know what you're going through. If I were in your situation, I might feel the same way. And so he attends to him with this great care and not dismiss him. You see, I want you to understand something, folks, here. A lot of people like to harp on doubt, right? Who's the disciple that gets the biggest hard case for doubt, right? When you think of a doubting someone in the Bible, who is it? It's Thomas, right? No one talks about John, but, you know, everybody wants to talk about Thomas, But I want you to understand something. For all the people who want to dismiss these guys, it's okay to doubt, Christians. And I want to say that from the pulpit as your pastor, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to battle doubt. It is not sinful at all. In fact, every Christian who has ever lived has battled doubt at some point in his walk with Christ. I mean, think about someone like David, right? One of the greatest examples of faith in the Bible. A man after God's own heart. Remember, the Bible says that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord literally told David, I will be with you wherever you go. Everybody tracking? The Lord says to David, I will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 13 verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now here's what's happening. David knew what God told him. I will be with you wherever you go. But in the moment, it didn't feel like that. It felt like God had abandoned him. And so David began to battle this doubt. Is God what he is saying? Is that true? Is he really with me? Because right now it does not feel that way. I want you to understand that there's a difference between being a doubter and being a denier. All right, we got this? You see two examples here. There's a doubter and there's a denier. Being a doubter, that's fine. Being a a denier, that's not okay. There's a difference. A doubter is someone who struggles to reconcile what they know with what they experience. That's a doubter. They're struggling to reconcile what they know with what they experience. So for instance, is a person who says, God, I know that you are good. I know that your word says you will never leave me or forsake me. I know that your word says that you work all things for the good of those who love you. But God, right now, in this moment, what I'm going through, it sure does not feel that way. And God, I'm having a really hard time reconciling what I know to be true about you with what I'm currently experiencing. Have you been there, church? That's a person who's battling doubt. He struggles to reconcile truth with experience, but being a denier is something altogether different. 
A denier is someone who rejects truth because of what they experience. It's a a person who rejects truth because of what they experience. So for example, it's a person who says, yeah, you know what? I know that the Bible says God is good. And I know that the Bible says God will never leave us or forsake us. And I know that the Bible says that, that God, he works all things for the good of those who love him. But clearly, that's not true. Because look what I'm going through. If any of that were true, then this wouldn't be happening to me. If all that were true, my marriage wouldn't have ended. My spouse wouldn't have died. My child wouldn't have died. I wouldn't have gotten that diagnosis that I never wanted to hear or thought I would hear. I wouldn't have such bad depression. I wouldn't be so anxious. None of this would be happening if any of that were true. Therefore, it must not be true. That is a denier. He rejects truth because of his experience. And like I said, being a denier is sinful, but battling doubts is natural for the Christian life. And listen to me, here's your encouragement, Christian. Every time a true disciple battles doubt, Jesus is faithful to listen and not dismiss those doubts. He is faithful to treat you with care. He attends to us in the midst of our doubts and disappointments and frustrations with tenderness. In fact, watch this. The Bible says in Isaiah 42.3, A bruised reed he will not break. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's talking about the Messiah. A bruised reed he will not break. That's how gentle our Savior is. I want you to get the picture here. A, A reed. It's talking about this little blade of grass, right? So so imagine this little blade of grass that is so beaten and worn out that it's just hobbled over and it looks like the slightest little breeze of wind would just rip this thing in two and, and uproot it from its place. And the Bible literally says of Jesus that He can handle a bruised reed without breaking it. That's good news for us because it means that Jesus is able to handle the bruised and the hurting with so much care that you will not break, Christian. No matter how low you are, no matter how much you think you're at your breaking point, no matter how much you throw your hands up and you go, God, you've got to do something because I can't take much more. I know for a fact I can't bear much more. God, I'm about to break. Jesus says, I can handle what you're going through. And I can handle you. That's our Savior. And so the good news is, if if, if that's you this morning, if you're in that place this morning where you're struggling to reconcile what you know with what you're experiencing, where you're disappointed and frustrated with Jesus, listen to me, don't be afraid to take that to the Lord. God can handle what you're going through. You don't need to hide that from Him. You understand, folks, that our God knows everything. He already knows what's in your heart, right? We know that, yeah. What's the point in hiding it then? If you're frustrated with God, call out and tell Him you're frustrated. If you're disappointed, call out and tell Him you're disappointed. God can handle whatever you have to say to Him. He's bigger than that. I mean, read the Psalms. We've said this so many times. Jordan and I said it this week. Read the Psalms. One Psalm, David's like, God, I love you. I don't know how everybody can't love you. I don't know how they don't see your goodness. You are awesome. You are to be praised at all times. The very next Psalm, David's like, are you even there, God? 
I don't even know if you're there anymore. Did you leave heaven? Why have you done this to me? Why do you hate me so much, God? David never once hid his heart from God. And neither do you. You don't have to do that. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The Bible says, cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. He handles His dissatisfied disciples with tenderness. But here's something important I want you to know this morning. Even though Jesus will not dismiss you, or your doubts, or your disappointments, or your frustrations, please understand this other point, folks. Jesus will not cater to you as you're in that place. He will not dismiss you, but He also will not cater to you. Because, keep in mind, why why is John disappointed here? Well, it's because the religious leaders are still in place. Because Rome is still in charge. Because He is in prison. And so Jesus could have said, okay, John, I want you to like me. I really do. I want you to be satisfied with me. I want you to think I'm doing a good job. John, I really do. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of all those things. And then and once I do, you, you'll like me, right? I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of the religious leaders. I'll overthrow Rome. I'll get you out of prison. John, if I do all that for you, would you be fine with me then? Would you praise me then, John? But Jesus doesn't do that. Because Jesus does not cater to people. God does not cater to people. God caters to God. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Not that you please or I please. God does what God pleases. And His will will be done. That's good news. So here's what I want you to understand. Jesus doesn't cater to us, but here's what He does do for us. He speaks truth to us in the midst of our disappointment. He's not going to cater to you, but He will speak truth to you in the midst of your disappointment. And I know that because that's exactly what He did for John, isn't it? I mean, John says, are you the one? Seems like a simple yes-no answer, right? (laughs) If only Jesus could just always be a simple yes-no answer like that. Normally, he answers a question with a question. But notice how he answers here. Go and tell John what you hear and see. And the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to him. So notice, John's like, hey, Jesus... Are you the guy? Right? Because I was telling everybody you were the guy, and I thought you were the guy. Now I'm not so sure. Are you the guy? What are you even doing, Jesus? And Jesus says, Well, hey, there were these uh there's these two blind men who couldn't see, and uh, I was walking by them, they called me son of David, and I healed them, and now they can see. He says, There was uh there's this paralyzed man. His friends literally brought him with a mat. They lowered him through the roof of the house that I was preaching in. And I just looked at him and I said, your sins are forgiven. And that guy stood up, grabbed his mat and walked home. John. He says, "Uh, uh, John, there was this leper. And I, I went and I touched the leper, John. And rather than being contaminated myself, I cleansed him. And he was healed. Oh, and by the way, John, you know Jairus? 
You know Jairus from the temple? Yeah, his daughter died. And I went and grabbed her hand, and I brought her back to life. That's what I've been doing, John. You want to know if I'm the guy? You're asking, am I the guy, John? This is what I've been doing. And here's why that's what John needed to hear, folks. This is the reason John needed this truth spoken into his life by Jesus is because as soon as John hears all, this, all these things, he would realize he was wrong to send his disciples in the first place. Because every single one of these things is a direct fulfillment of prophecies about what the Messiah would do when he came. Isaiah 35, 4-6 Say to those who have an anxious heart. Does John have an anxious heart at this time? Yeah. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So here's the prophecy. Here's the setup, right? The Bible's saying God is coming. And He is going to come and He is going to save you. And here's what it's going to look like when God is in your midst. Here's what He's going to do. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. It's a direct fulfillment of what the Bible said Jesus would do. So John's doubting, And Jesus doesn't cater to those doubts. He speaks truth to those doubts. He says, John, you're asking what I'm doing. I'm doing everything the Bible said the Messiah would do. The problem is, Jesus isn't doing what John wanted him to do. Do you notice the difference there, church? Please pay attention. John is upset, not because Jesus isn't doing what the Bible says he would do. John is upset because Jesus isn't doing what John wants him to do. And I just have to say right now, this passage is showing us that it is possible for for God to be working in a mighty way and doing great things. And the people who should be most excited about what God is doing are very often the ones who are complaining and upset about what God is doing. Now, you can't say amen because you're in church and you know it hits a little too close to home. But imagine we weren't in church, then you'd say amen, wouldn't you? You know that's true. Come on, you've been in church long enough. The people who should be most excited about what God is doing, you know they're very often the ones who are most upset about what God is doing. Why? Because it's not being done in my way. Sound familiar? Yeah. I have all these expectations about what I want Jesus to do and what I want the church to do. And even if God is moving in a mighty way and lives are being saved and people are being baptized and people are coming to grow in their faith, if God is not doing them in my way, well, then I'm not going to praise Him. I'm going to be disappointed and frustrated and I'm going to doubt Him and I'm going to cause some trouble. Amen. Thank you, Tommy Burdock. I want you to see something, church. More on that next week. If you want to hear that sermon, that's next week. I had to move it to next week. So, But I want you to understand something here. In our battles 
with disappointment and frustration and doubt, we have got to be willing to ask ourselves this question. Listen to me. Am I disappointed that Jesus is failing to be who the Bible says that he is? Or am I disappointed that Jesus is failing to be who I want him to be? And if we are honest with ourselves, we have to admit that most of the time we're disappointed by the fact that Jesus is not doing the things that we want him to do and he is not being the person that we want him to be. But again, understand this. God does not exist to satisfy our every desire or preference, church. Listen, Jesus is not a genie who exists to grant our every wish. He is not beholden to our every demand. If we want to avoid disappointment and frustration with God, we've got to learn to align our expectations with the Bible's declarations. It's not about who you say Jesus is. It's not about who you want him to be. The question is, what does the Bible say of Jesus? Because listen to me, the Bible never once says, if you become a Christian, you're going to have an easy marriage. It's not in there. The Bible never says if you become a Christian, you're never going to lose your job. You won't lose a child or a spouse. You won't be single or infertile. No, the Bible says that God is still God in the midst of all those things. That God is still good in the midst of all those things. That God is still loving in the midst of all those things. That God is still at work in the midst of all those things. That God is still worthy to be praised in the midst of every single one of those situations. It's because God's goodness is not dependent upon our circumstances. Do you hear me, church? His goodness and His worthiness to be praised, they are in no way dependent upon our circumstances. In other words, as long as I'm having a good time and life is great, I'll praise you, God, because you're good and you're worthy to be praised. But if things go bad, no more praise, God, because now you're not good and you're not worthy. The Bible says that is false. God is good and worthy to be praised at all times, for He is God and there is no other. So the best thing that God can do for you as you battle doubt and disappointment and frustration is not cater to you. Not cater to your man's or your desires or your wishes. But speak truth to you in the midst of those things. And remind you of who he actually is. Not who you want him to be. See, that's, that's what it comes down to. Do you love the Jesus of the Bible? Or do you love the Jesus of your imagination? The one of your own creation? Is the Jesus of the Bible enough for you? Will you be satisfied with who he is? That's the question, which is why Jesus says this in verse 6 as we end. Look at this. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now I want you to circle that word offended, underline it, do what you have to do. The word offended is in the Greek, scandalizo. Who here needs to know Greek to know what that means? (laughs) None of you. You get it. You hear it. Scandalized. Scandalized. That's what the word is. 
That's where we get our word from scandalizo. Here's what it referred to. It referred to a stumbling block or an impediment that was put in front of someone to prevent them from reaching a goal. And Jesus is saying, blessed is the one for whom I am not a stumbling block. And I want to know, is that what Jesus is to you? Is he a stumbling block in your pursuit of your dreams? In your pursuit of your happiness? In your pursuit of your preferences and your desires? Will you be offended by who Jesus actually is? Or will you find your full and complete satisfaction in who the Bible says that he is? Listen, church, you don't need me to say this. I'm going to anyways. Things are not always going to go your way in this life. All right? Yeah, amen. Thank you from the front row. (laughs) Things are not always going to go your way in this life. If you believe that it's the case, then you probably have not hit 15 yet, okay? It'll start going downhill at that age. They're not always going to go your way. You're going to battle doubts and disappointments and even frustration, but do not think for a second that any of that means that God does not love you. I'd be saying, well, how could he love me if I have to go through this? The Bible says that the father loves his son, but he did not spare him from the cross. Are we to doubt the father's love for his son? Absolutely not. And even though God loves you, he will not spare you from the times of difficulty and trials from the times of disappointment and frustration. But the good news is the Father gives us a Savior who is gentle and lowly. So tender a bruised reed he will not break. And so the Bible says, take your concerns to him because he cares for you. He's not going to dismiss you. He's not going to get angry with you. He's also not going to cater to you, but he will speak truth to you in the midst of your Doubts and disappointments and frustrations. And the question you have to be asking yourself is even if things do not go my way, can I find satisfaction in them going God's ways? Will Jesus be a stumbling block to you in your faith or will Jesus be the cornerstone of your faith? Will you find your full and complete satisfaction in who the Bible says that He is rather than who you want Him to be. And leave you with the words of Jesus, Blessed is the one who is not offended by the Son of God. Amen.